Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have Joy Forrest on today's episode. She is the founder and executive director of Called to Peace Ministries, a non-denominational nonprofit ministry dedicated to offering hope and healing to victims of domestic violence, emotionally destructive relationships, and sexual assault. She is the author of Called to Peace, A Survivor's Guide to Finding Peace and Healing After Domestic Abuse, and Called to Peace Companion Workbook. Joy holds an MA in Biblical Counseling from the Southeast Baptist Theological Seminary and has been active in counseling ministry since 2005. She held the position of Community Educator with Safe Space Domestic Violence Services in Lewisburg, North Carolina from 2000 to 2001. She is a certified advocate with the NC Coalition Against Domestic Violence and has worked with over 2,000 victims of domestic abuse since 1997. Her blog contains many articles on domestic abuse, as well as posts on victorious Christian living. In her spare time, Joy loves traveling and spending time with her family, especially her 10 grandchildren. Welcome, Joy. Thank you, Anne. I appreciate it. So, Joy, how did you get into this work? What led you to start Called to Peace Ministries? Actually, I tell people I was a victim of domestic abuse for 23 years of my life, but I didn't recognize it until about the 23rd year. All of those years while in that marriage, we would reach out to counselors, pastors, usually we'd go to a pastor first, and they would treat it like a marital problem. And most of the time, the attempts to get help made things worse. And so as it got worse over time, we know that domestic abuse is progressive over time. It tends to get worse. And so it was getting really volatile towards the end. And it really just boggled my mind at the lack of resources that I was encountering. Everywhere I turned to get help, whether it be the courts, law enforcement, counselors, nobody knew how to deal with our situation. And one day when it was particularly dangerous, I just said, God, if you help me get out of this, I will help other women in these kinds of situations. And Sure enough, he has held me to it. People just kept coming into my path. And then even that job that I had at the domestic violence agency, I wasn't looking for that job. I was helping a woman get out. I went up and told them I'd love to volunteer and gave them a little bit of my story. And then when domestic violence awareness 
month was approaching, they decided that they needed some survivors to tell their stories. So they called and asked me if I would come and speak at their candlelight vigil. (laughs) And my thought was, I don't speak in public. (laughs) I was so afraid of speaking in public, but I knew that God hadn't brought me through all of that for me to keep my mouth shut. So I agreed to it. And then two months later, they called and offered me a job as their spokesperson. So it was something I wasn't looking for, but it's just one of those many things that happened on the road to starting Call to Peace. And then I ended up going to seminary for a degree. I didn't even know what kind of degree I was getting. It was also a very clear call to go. And I got involved in church counseling ministry pretty quickly after enrolling in that program and seeing how victims of abuse were treated by their churches was also way more mind-boggling than what I had even experienced because I had come through a church where the pastor didn't know what to do and he thought that I should just get out of the marriage. And I thought, well, this man doesn't know Jesus <laughs> when he told me that. But I came to a church that probably believed more like I did. And the way that they were counseling it was, well, you need to submit as long as he's not asking you to sin. And all that does when you're submitting, or it's not even submission. Submission is a voluntary yielding. It's not obedience, blind obedience. And that's sort of the way that they were teaching it. And so the more that women submitted or obeyed or bowed down to people who are abusive, then the more things would get worse. I mean, that's what happened in my very own situation. So seeing all these things, it just started a fire in me that I needed to do something. And it was, I think one of my main goals or aspirations was to help churches better respond. And of course, the other one has always been to just help those who have been abused or oppressed in their homes find healing because I believe that our God is a healer. And so he brought me through a healing process. It's so funny when I look back on it, I didn't know anything about trauma. I just know that the process that I came through brought amazing healing in my life. And then when I started studying brain science in the last three or four years, when I've really been learning a lot about trauma, I realized that what God did was he, he knows the brain science. And when he tells us to meditate on his word, which is what I did, it actually reaches those traumatized parts of the brain. And so I think that if I had to go back over and do it again, I could heal a lot quicker now because I understand the science behind it. But I did go through this process of healing. And so we have support groups that are, they're scriptural support groups for women who are, you know, struggling and coming out of domestic abuse and really any kind of abuse, the principles are to healing are the same, I believe. So that's kind of how I got here. And I'm sure there's probably more I could tell you, but I'm sure we got other things to talk about. Yeah. I went through a similar experience where I was trying to get help. It felt like I was like screaming and yelling, like, help me, help me. Like, and I was facing it head on and no one ever told me that it was abuse. So all the people that I went to get help from therapists, clergy, whatever. And so I actually didn't understand it. And you said the same thing. Why do you think that women who are in emotionally and psychologically abusive relationships don't know that they are? Why do you think this happens to women? 
I think that it is so insidious. It sneaks up on us. So it's like the frog in boiling water analogy. I tell people the first lesson that I got in my relationship with my ex was he had asked me a question. I answered it in a way he didn't like. He slammed on brakes, threw me out of the car and called me names. And then a day or two later, he calls back and he apologizes and he doesn't act angry again for a long, long time to come. So I just filed that away. Well, I'll never do that again. And so that was when I was probably 14 years old when I met him. And then by the time I'm 38 years old, when I'm getting out, there's about 5,000 things I'm not doing anymore. So the way I'm thinking has changed. I have been brainwashed. I tell people that getting into these kinds of relationships, it's almost like getting in and out of a cult. It's this very gradual process that changes the way we think. And so we start lying to ourselves. Plus, it's very hurtful to think that somebody would ever choose to treat us that way. And we know that that is not love. First Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not easily provoked. All the things that abuse is, right? And so for me, when I finally had to admit that it was abusive, I had to admit that he meant me harm. And that was really painful because I had loved him and had been faithful and stood up for him and protected him and even covered up his mess for so many years and realizing that he had chosen to do nothing but hurt and use me. So that's a really painful conclusion. So coming to admit that is pretty hard. It's the first step to healing, but it is the hardest part of the healing process in my mind. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. And now back to our conversation. You know, a lot of therapists who I think don't understand abuse, they don't like the word victim. They're like, we don't want to say the word victim because we don't want people to feel powerless, right? And I agree. I don't want anyone to feel powerless, especially a victim. But I love the word victim when I finally embraced it. And the reason why I loved it was because it meant I couldn't do anything. Like, not that I couldn't do anything. That is not what I mean. It meant that it wasn't me. It meant that someone was doing something to me that I had no control over. And what I needed to do was get to safety, but that I was an actual victim, you know, that I hadn't done anything wrong. And for me, that word was so empowering. Now I tend to like the word shero more because then once I recognize that I had to sort of be my own hero and so do women in this situation, but I just don't mind the word victim. And I use it and I use it sort of interchangeably with survivor and shero. And it's interesting how different women feel about the different terms. Do you have any thoughts about that? I absolutely do. <laughs> so I have a friend, Julie Owens, who's a domestic violence expert, has been for probably 30 years at the very beginning of the domestic violence movement. And she said, we don't want to stay victims, but we are victimized. Just like you said, it wasn't our choice. It wasn't our fault. And that's by its very meaning, that's what victim is all about, that it wasn't our fault and it was not something that we could control. So it happened to us. Then we want to move from victim. It's a problem when you stay in the victim mindset or you stay 
you still continue to see yourself as a victim years down the road because healing is possible, but it has to be intentional. And so I think that it's really important that we make that transition, but absolutely we need to admit that we were victimized, that we were victims, and then we move on to survivor and even thriver beyond that. Mm-hmm. Some of us are still victims. And that's one thing that I do like to talk about. For me, as an example, I have an ex-husband who is literally still abusive to me. So for that, I want to say, you know, I don't think I'm in victim mode per se, but I am actually literally technically still a victim. But I have moved into this empowered place where I'm separated from the harm. So even though he's still abusive and I'm technically still a victim, it doesn't feel like that anymore, if that makes any sense. Some days it does, actually. It depends. There are some moments where I just feel like, is this still happening? Is he still lying and gaslighting and manipulating? But overall, my life has so much peace in it now. So I think that that can happen where women can move into their power, but still actually technically be victimized continually. Oh, absolutely. But that's what I would say. You are not a victim because you have overcome it in you. You're being victimized at this point, you know, because you've empowered yourself. But yeah, absolutely. You're still being victimized. And that can go on. We know in these situations that can go on for a long time after the separation and getting getting safe. They use the children. They use the courts. They use anything they can to continue to make us miserable sometimes. Yeah. So you mentioned that your pastor said you need to get a divorce and you thought to yourself, this man doesn't know Jesus. I hear that a lot. Actually, a lot of women hear my podcast or they learn about betrayal trauma recovery and they think, oh, that Anne, she just doesn't know Jesus. She must not be a Christian or something like that. Or she claims to be, but she doesn't you know, know Jesus. Can you talk about why many Christians get stuck in that trap and that sometimes that trap can stop them from finding safety? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, part of it was, you know, I had actually grown up in a pretty liberal church. And then after I became a Christian, moved over to one that actually had some very strict teaching on men's and women's roles. And so that's what I got when I was in high school, that submission was taught like it was obedience. And then, of course, all the years I became a homeschool mom, stay-at-home mom, and listening to things like Focus on the Family, where they talk about how your children will be better off if you stay married, then your kids are going to be so much better off that a divorce is so painful and hurtful to children. And my own parents had divorced. So I really had come to this point that I did not believe in divorce. And it got to the point that it had gotten so volatile at the end that my daughter, who was 12 years old at the time, said, Mom, why don't you just get out? And I said, well, God hates divorce. And she said, yeah, he hates divorce, but he's going to hate it a lot more when my mom is dead. And she had more wisdom than me. The thing is that I never actually studied that passage. When you look at that passage, it was actually meant to protect women. (laughs) It wasn't meant to be a burden or an oppression over our lives, but that's the way we come to interpret things that we've quoted to ourselves over and over again without even getting into the true meaning. And so I had about a million things in my head like that, that I had come to believe. And some of them were put there by my husband. He would say things like, you need to submit. I'm the head of this house. He would use scripture 
to keep me under control. And so there's just a multitude of reasons why we come to that point. But a lot of it was me and the things that I listened to and the things I believed without checking them out for myself. How did you come to realize that tolerating abuse or withstanding abuse or submitting to abuse was not what Jesus wanted? Well, I don't even know if I came to that recognition for a long time until after I got out. I just had to get out to save my life, honestly. Mm, okay. So it wasn't maybe till later that you started thinking, wait a minute, all my thoughts about this were wampus. I'll tell you this. So I actually did call Focus on the Family and I said, you guys need to do a show on domestic abuse. Well, this is like 1995. And they said, we already did. And so they sent me some cassette tapes of a ministry and we actually paid, my ex was a physician. And so we paid $3,000 and we went out to Omaha, Nebraska, and we worked with a psychologist one-on-one for a week. And for the first time in my life, I saw something that actually spoke to what I was experiencing. They pulled out and showed me a power and control wheel. And when I saw that, I had been telling myself, no, this is not abuse. He doesn't mean it. He's just having these, like he flips out and he really can't control it. It's like a little nervous breakdown. I was making excuses for him. And when I saw that power and control wheel, it's basically definition and all the tactics used in domestic violence is what they called it back then. They're changing the terminology these days to coercive control, but I realized that he had used everything on that power and control wheel against me. And 90% of that is not physical abuse, not physical violence. And that's the way that I interpreted abuse as only physical. And I had had some incidents, but they had been few and far between. We could go years with no physical abuse. But then when they did happen from time to time, I would get shoved or I would get blocked in a room and And there at the end, there was actually a strangulation attempt and got my head pounded into a steering wheel multiple times. But that was, you know, as it's progressive over time, it did build up and was worse there towards the end than it was in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's one reason why I'm always recommending that women read Why Does He Do That by Lindy Bancroft. I had very little physical incidents until the very last one where he was actually arrested. And it was very minor. He sprained my fingers. It was a domestic abuse incident, but it wasn't strangulation. So I still, even after that, and even after he was arrested, I didn't think he was abusive until I read, why does he do that? And then it was like, check, 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 check. And I think that's what women need. They need some kind of like this education about abuse in order to be able to recognize it. So let's talk about your ministry, which is an amazing ministry and you help so many women. Can you tell us a little bit about the mission and ministry of Called to Peace Ministries? Yes. So Call to Peace has a two-pronged mission. One is to provide practical help and assistance to survivors of domestic abuse and other kinds of abuse. So we have support groups, we have advocacy, and we actually have an advocacy program where we train advocates. Dr. Deborah Wingfield, who is uh, used to be a professor at Colorado State University Pueblo, she came to town and says, we need to get together and do something to help pass on our knowledge to younger people. And so people had been asking me to teach an advocacy course. And I was thinking, I don't have time to write one. I was an advocate, but she came in and says, well, I've got 30 courses that I've written. So we have this one year advocacy curriculum and of over 300 people have gone through it now. So we have trained advocates, volunteers across the country and even in some foreign countries. And so if somebody's going through a situation and they're 
doing just like you and I did, where it feels like you're bumping your head against the wall, not being able to find help and, or anybody who can define what's happening to you, they can reach out to us and talk to an advocate. We have support groups based on the curriculum from the Called to Peace Companion Workbook and the book. And then we have practical assistance. So people that are connected with our support groups, sometimes we can provide even emergency um, financial assistance. And then on the other prong of our ministry is to educate and to help churches get a better understanding and to better respond to domestic abuse. So we have a new church partnership program that we've started in the last year, and we have two pastors on staff, Pastor Jim Upchurch and Pastor Andre Turrentine, who are both on staff here part-time, and they go in and they meet with pastors. When somebody calls us, perhaps they're in a situation where their pastor's just not getting it, their church is not understanding, we will go in and we will actually help the churches navigate the situation so that maybe the woman doesn't have to lose her church. So many we know have lost their church. They lose their family first, and then they lose their church, and it just seems like you lose everything. If they want to stay in the church, we will try to come alongside and help those churches respond in a way that is going to help rather than cause more harm. And I don't think that the churches mean to do harm, but it certainly happens because they don't understand the dynamics. Just like even as us as victims, we don't understand the dynamics of what we're in. So how can we expect them to understand it? So that's what we do. Yeah, I think church is just an especially ripe place for abusers Because if you look like a God-fearing man and you go in and you seem sincere, you know, and you're attending church and you're doing service, then they just can't wrap their head around this person is intentionally manipulating me and grooming me, right? I mean, it's very hard. So if he says, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. I think they're not really set up to be super skeptical about what an upstanding member of their church would say. It's sort of like, a t- church attendance and being able to quote scripture and be able to say a prayer is kind of automatic trust in that community. And it's unfortunate because it just makes it a ripe place for abusers to thrive. Yeah. And you know what? And they know that Jesus talked about wolves among sheep, right? So I think that they know that and they will actually use the church for their own gain. I mean, Paul talks about it in his epistles. Joy and I are going to pause the conversation here. We are going to continue it next week, so stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, And rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 